All right. You guys doing okay? Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Let's dive into the Word together this morning. Ephesians 5 is where we're going to be. Ephesians 5. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and pull it out. Ephesians 5, verse 15 is where we're going to get started. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. There's a Bible underneath the seat you're sitting in. There's a blue Bible down there. Ephesians 5, uh, verse 15. Ephesians 5 in the blue Bible is on page uh, 1081. Page 1081. It'll be up here on the screens uh, for you guys. Is it, Mary? There it is. Ephesians 5, page 1081. All right. We are in a series uh, called After 10 Years, and the idea is, the picture um, uh, that we're trying to get everybody to see is that all of us have a vision of, of, of what the future might look like, multiple visions. We have these, these ideas that, that, men in the future, my life is going to look this way. Um, my friendships are going to be like this. My career is going to be like this. My house is going to be like this. Whatever that thing might be for you. The reality is, though, many of these things uh, for us are not, are not realistic. They're often uh, inflated. We talked about this a few weeks ago um, and w- when we kind of laid the foundation and the groundwork for this series in the book of James, right? It's, it's like chasing after uh, Bigfoot. It's like fall, tra- chasing after unicorns out there in the future. We're like, this is what it's going to be like. But reality is you can't. You can't produce that. You cannot create that. And often what happens is, if you could just narrow it down, you say, what are the top five most important pieces? What, what are the things out there in the future? I say, man, if I, if I could gain just these four or five things, I would sacrifice all the rest in order to get there. Now suddenly, suddenly those things, um, we realize, we find what is actually most valuable to us in our lives. And usually, usually those things begin to align with, they align with the things that God longs for our lives. Not always, but often. When, when, we, when we really sit down and we say, man, what are the things that are most valuable? We share a lot of those same ideas. For many of us in the room, we'd say, man, my relationship with Jesus is extremely valuable. And in five years, ten years out, I long to have a rock-solid relationship with Jesus. We talked about that last Sunday. My marriage, my marriage, I long to have a solid marriage in years out. My, my family, um, my, my career, whatever it might be, my, the way I've invested my days, that's, that's what I long to, to be true of my life 10 years out in the future. But what we tend to do, what we tend to do is we make compromises in the present moment rather than sacrifices towards those things. We make compromises and suddenly smaller dreams and, and lesser visions become more important to us. And we begin to invest in the wrong things in the present moment rather than sacrificing in order to gain those things in the future. And so we've been walking through some of these things that I believe many of us have in common. And today we're going to talk about a big one. Uh, marriage is a, massive, is a massive one. Marriage is a big one. I think for everybody in the room who is married, or maybe you're single and you think maybe I'll get married in the future. Maybe in the next, in the next five, ten years of my life I would like to be married. If you are here today and you are married... It must be kind of at the top of your list. This idea, for, for me, for sure, um, it's towards the top of my list. To say 10 years out, man, I would love to see uh, my wife Desiree and I have an amazing relationship built on open communication, just rock-solid trust, uh, where we love each other more then than we do today. Um, a, a relationship, a marriage marked by joy and delight and laughter and goodness that our, our boys would be able to look up and see that in us, right? But nobody gets there by mistake. 
Nobody stumbles into that. You, you don't stumble into that type of relationship with anyone at any time ever in your life. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't work that way, right? You, you don't just kind of do whatever you want today and stumble into that. No, you make sacrifices in the moment in order to, in order, in order to reach that this thing in the distance in the future. And marriage is one of those things in our lives that sets the course for the rest of our lives. Um, Tim Keller is a pastor and a theologian um, in New York, in, in Manhattan, and uh, he wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage. The Meaning of Marriage. In this book, um, I, I would argue, for me, it's been the most impactful for me. Um, and I, it's the one that I recommend to, to literally everybody. If you're single and you think, man, maybe someday I'll get married, or you're married, and I would say, man, I, I, I would recommend that you read this book with your spouse. If you're single and you're thinking about in the future someday, Begin now investing in this. Um, we have we 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 had some copies for sale out in the hub, and I think most of them are gone. There might be one or two left. Uh, you could grab it on your way out. But Tim Keller writes this in that book. He says this. He says, "Marriage has the power to set the course of your life as a whole. If your marriage is strong, even if all the circumstances of your life around you are filled with trouble and weakness, it won't matter." You will be able to move into the world in strength. This is the reality. This is truth, right? This is true. If my relationship with Jesus is strong and rock solid, and if my relationship with Desiree is is strong, and I know that she's going to be there for me no matter what, everything else around can fail. Everything else around, right? We're, We're broke. We're running out of money. It's okay. I have Jesus and I have my spouse. I lost my job. It's okay. I got Jesus and I have my spouse. We're going to get through this together. The doctor calls and it's not good news. It's okay. I have Jesus and I have my spouse. We're going we're gonna to move through this. When you have a spouse that you know, no matter what, we're going to get through this together. You have me. You can always lean on me. Right? You have that type of relationship. It changes the rest of your, the world around you. It changes the way that you engage in other circumstances. And so this is, this is a big one. It has to be towards the top five of our list, out there in the distance, out there in the future. Now, for some of you in the room, for those of us in the room who are single, some of you are single and you think, yeah, Josh, in the next five, ten years, out there in the distance, in the future, I, I would like to be married. I want to encourage you this morning. Lean into this now. Don't wait. Do not wait. Do not wait till you get there. Begin now investing in the right things today, not in the future. Begin investing now, making sacrifices now, making the right choices and decisions now in the present moment. And the future will be so much better and so much brighter uh, when that time comes for you. Now, others of us say, you know what, Josh, I'm single. I, I don't know if I'll ever get married. Maybe that's uh, by, uh, the, maybe, maybe you're uh, older, your spouse has passed on. You're like, you know, I'm going to spend the rest of my days investing in other things, Josh. Maybe you're younger and you say, I just don't feel like I'm called to that. I, I, don't, I don't long for marriage. I, I long to be single and I want to invest my life in other things. He, here's what I would say to, to you, friends. Um, I think if there's a fascinating piece of biblical marriage. Within the Bible, there is nowhere in the Bible does it say that you must get married. It doesn't say that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you must get married. Nope, not a commandment. However, however, from Genesis to Revelation, again and again and again and again, all of humanity is called to value, care for, protect, 
and cherish marriage. Doesn't matter if you're single or married. It does not matter. It doesn't matter what you, like, in fact, Paul would say, in the New Testament, Paul says, you know, it's better if you don't get married. You should be like me, right? Paul thinks everybody should be like him. It's a little arrogant, but, you know, that's all right. Paul's like, you should be like me and, and just and never pursue that. But at the same time, Paul deeply values, cherishes, cares for, seeks to protect marriage, the marriages of his friends, the marriages within the church. And you are called to the same thing, whether you are married or single. And so I, I think, I often think, how beautiful would it be if, if people who are single and are, are committed to being single, whether that's in this season of life or in all of life, if today you begin to say, man, whose marriage am I going to invest in then? You begin to invest in the marriage of your friends. You begin to invest in the marriages of the people in this room. And 10 years from now, we look back and, and our marriages and our marriages are in that place that we pictured in our mind where it's, it's solid and it's strong and it's right and there's good communication. And I, I look to my friends and I say, man, thank you for so long ago speaking truth into my life correcting me when I was wrong and investing in my marriage. Thank you for in the darkest hours when I'm grumbling and complaining about my spouse, you never once doubted them, but you encouraged me towards them and you encouraged me towards Christ. How unbelievable would it be if as a community we began to do that for each other? And so whether you're married or single, I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to, to lean into this idea as we look at what does it look like for a, a wife to love her husband and as a husband to love her, uh, as a husband to love his wife in this moment, in the present moment, for the sake of the future one, not for the sake of the present one. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but that's what Paul's actually setting up. That's what he's going to, that's what he's going to say, man, we love now in the present, not for the present, but for the future. Um, in Ephesians 5, I love this, Paul sets this up in the same exact way that we've been talking about this after 10 years piece. I, I didn't really realize that until uh, this week. As I begin reading through Ephesians 5, Paul says the exact same thing that we've been saying. He says, man, we must live well in the present, right? We, and if we're going to engage the future, we must live well in the present. And then he breaks it into categories. The same way, he talks about how the church should be loving each other. He talks about how husbands and wives. He talks about how parenting. He talks about um, employees. He talks about a relationship with Jesus. All of these categories, how we must live well in the present in order to engage the future. And so we're going to look at that together this morning. Ephesians 5, verse 15. If you guys would with me, out of reverence for the Word of God, if you'd stand um, as I read the Word for us this morning. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Paul says this. Look carefully. Study, examine, look at, pay attention to, cast your mind to these things. Look carefully then how you walk, how you live in this present moment. Not as unwise, but as wise. Walk wisely, making the best use of your time in this present moment, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what is the will, of, what, the, what the will of the Lord is. That's what we talked about in James a few weeks ago. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is a debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as the Lord, as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself, he, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can grab a seat. All right, we're going to dive right into this. And uh, uh, Paul is a gentleman, right? Ladies first. Um, he, he addresses the women first in this passage, right? Um, and he says, he says this kind of in the beginning of this piece, uh, Ephesians 5, verse 22, right? Wives, um, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, when this passage is read, it doesn't matter if, if I'm reading it or if I'm preaching on it or it's in a small group or you're just reading it in your Bible, right? Um, the ladies in the room tend to get a little uncomfortable with that idea. Anybody a little uncomfortable? I know I am. Uh, a little antsy, uh, maybe a little angry. Don't throw anything yet, okay? Um, uh, there's, there's some frustration that begins to, to boil. Um, but here, here's the reality. Um, is Paul saying, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. But he's saying so much more than that. And I would agree with you 100%. If you, if you take that out of its context and you just focus right in on those words, in fact, we don't even add the end of it on, uh, into that verse on it. It's just, we just say, wives, submit to your husbands. And we're like, wait, what? Um, but if you look at the whole picture, it actually changes that passage. It changes the entire thing, Right? Paul says this, right? He begins this whole thing saying, let's live wisely. Let's live right in this present moment. Let's look at, let's examine how we live. Let's look at how we live within the church. Let's sing songs together. Let's sing songs of praise. Let's be thankful together. Let's submit to one another in reverence to Christ. Let me, let me submit to you. Let me put my feelings, my longings, my cares beneath yours as you are working to put yours beneath mine. Let's care for each other. Let's look out for one another. Let's say, what's the best thing for the people who are around me right now, not what's best for me? And we all say, that sounds beautiful. That's a beautiful picture of what the church could be like if we were to submit our lives to each other. And then in that same context, he says, wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands. Now, that lessens it a little bit, but we're still like, ah, I still feel a little uncomfortable with it, Josh. I'm not quite sure, right? But the reality is, is this. We talk about this all the time at Flourishing Grace. We say, man, we must submit all of our lives, every ounce of who we are, to the person of Christ. We submit who we are to God. God owns all of me. He owns my longings, my fears, my dreams, my hopes, my desires. He owns my marriage. He owns my career. He owns my, uh, everything that I, 
Everything that I hold within my possession, it actually belongs to him. My children, the breath in my lungs, the blood that runs through my veins, it is his. I do not cling to the things of this world. I cling to Christ alone because it all belongs to him. So we submit everything to him. Amen? Amen. Now, why is it easy to say amen to that? But when I say submit to your husband, you're like, I don't know. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because Christ has loved us so well, so perfectly. He's, he is perfectly loving, perfectly just. And your husband at times, at times, is an absolute moron. <laughs> and Paul says, we want to walk wisely, not foolishly. And to submit to your husband at times, foolish. Okay? Um, that, that's why. That, that's why. We're like, no, 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 no. Yeah, sure, maybe, maybe on his best day, maybe, maybe then I'll follow him and I'll kind of submit to where he wants to go. As long as where he wants to go is where I'm going. Uh, we're, we're in. We're in. Keller puts it this way in that same book, Meaning of Marriage. Um, Keller says this. Um, the Christian teaching does not offer a choice between fulfillment and sacrifice but rather, rather mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. Jesus gave himself up. He died to himself to save us and to make us his. Now we give ourselves up. We die to ourselves first when we repent and believe the gospel, and later as we submit to his will day by day. Subordinating ourselves to him, however, is radically safe because he has already shown that he was willing to go to hell and back for us. This, this idea banishes fears that loving surrender means loss of oneself. When we see how much Christ loves us, when we see the fullness of the gospel, when we see Christ on the cross bleeding out for us, there's no fear in submitting to him because we know that he would do anything for us. We know that he loves us no matter what. We know that he loves us in our darkest hours. We know that we, he loves us when we reject him, when we, when we disobey. We know that he loves us when we go astray. We know that he would do anything for us. And so it's a radically safe submission when we know that we're submitting to the one who loves us more than we even love ourselves. Now here's the reality. Here's what this tells us. When it comes to Christ, that's a safe submission. When it comes to our husbands, we don't believe that they love us that way. exactly what's going on. You can't tell me I'm wrong. We know that Christ loves us no matter what and would do anything for us. And so therefore we say, amen, I'll submit to that. But when it comes to the way our husbands love us, we question whether or not they love us no matter what and would do anything for us. And so we say, mm, I don't know. I don't know. And what I love about this text, what I love about this passage, is that Paul knows this. He sees it. And the way that he, the way that he lines it out, the way, the way that he structures this, he sees this. He says, look, wives submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. Right? Uh, it, it, so so let, let, let us submit to Christ in the lives of our husbands. Let's, let us submit to that. And we're like, I don't, I don't know about that. Like Christ is easy to submit to because he's perfectly loving. And then the next words out of Paul's mouth, verse 22, 25, sorry. Husbands, 
Love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. The very next thing, Paul says, in husbands, in order for this to work out, husbands, you got to love your wives the same way Christ loved the church. If you want your wives to submit to you as the church submits to Christ, you better love your wife the way that Christ loved the church. How did he do that? He gave everything up for her. He picked up his cross, and he died to himself again and again and again, fully, totally, completely, in every way. It, when, when the church fully rejected him, in the depths of our sin, in the depths of our brokenness, he said, I, I, I can fix that. It's a future love. It's a future love. It's, it's, not, it's not, hey, I'm going to fix this today. I have a greater picture of the future of what this is going to look like. And through my actions today, through my selflessness today, there's hope for the future. Keller puts it this way in that same book. We must say to ourselves, fellas, we must say to ourselves something like this. Well, when Jesus looked down from the cross, he did not think, I'm giving myself up to you because you are so attractive to me. No. No, he was in agony. He looked down at us, denying himself, uh, denying him, us denying him, abandoning him, betraying him. And in the greatest act of love in history, he stayed. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He loved us, not because we are lovely to him, but, but to make us lovely. That's why, I'm going to love, that's, that's why I'm going to love my spouse. Speak to your heart like that, and then fulfill the promises you made on your wedding day. Fellas, the call it is not to love someone who is perfect in every way, shape, or form. The call is to love somebody perfectly in their imperfections. To wade into that, to pick up your cross and say, I, I will deny myself again and again and again. Ladies, the call, Paul is not saying, hey, if you feel like it, submit to your husband. He's not asking you to do that. He's commanding you to submit to Christ in your husband. As your husband takes the form of Christ and loves you sacrificially, we submit to the Christ in our husbands. Fellas, he's not asking you to die to yourself when your wife is doing everything you think that she should be doing in the way that you think she should do it. He's saying in her darkest hour, when she has mistreated you, and the way that she's acting is not lovely to you, you look to the future and you say, but there's an idea, there's a hope in the distance in the future that is lovely. And so I will make the right sacrifice in the moment rather than the compromise in the moment. And, or, and I will love my wife well in spite of how she is acting in this moment. I'll pick up my cross. I'll deny myself. And I will love her well in this moment for the sake of a future idea, not a present one. Future idea, not a present one. One of the things that Desiree and I love to do is travel. We've been all over the place. We've been on a bunch of different countries and states. Desiree recently went to her 50th state. She beat me by a couple. Almost, almost there. We travel all over the place, and we, we love to go different places. And one of the places that I love to go back to, we've been there several times, I love to go to New Orleans. I love New Orleans. I love the culture. 
I love, my, oh my goodness, I love the food. I love the music. I love the people. I love New Orleans. It's just an, it's just an amazing place to visit. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Last time we went, uh, we went on these uh, plantation tours, uh, these old plantations. And uh, there's one in particular. It's called Oak Alley. And uh, I got a picture of it right here. Um, it's this place. This place is just ridiculous, okay? Uh, you roll up and you see these massive oak trees, 28 oak trees that line this path up to this home. And the trees were planted before the home was ever built, right? The backyard is the Mississippi River. It's just like this unbelievable scene. It's like, it's like you're in a fairy tale land. The trees were planted in the 1700s, the early 1700s, by a French settler. Before the home was ever there, before there was, the farm was ever there, before anything was there, he shows up and he plants these trees, these, oak, these little tiny oak trees, knowing full well, knowing full well that he'll, he'll never get to experience that. He'll never get to see that. He'll never, he'll never get to sit in that, the fullness of their shade and see the fullness of their beauty. He knows um, that, that for sure in his lifetime, maybe, maybe he'll get to see a little bit of beauty and sit underneath a little bit of shade, but he'll never get to experience that. Right now, those trees are over 300 years old. No, he says, man, how am I going to plant today for the sake of my children and my grandchildren for future generations to come and to see this unbelievable sight? I think marriage is a lot like that idea where we realize that the investment that I make today, tomorrow is, isn't going to pay off that much. But if I invest tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day, eventually, eventually, there, something begins to form. A year later, a year later, there's, there's kind of a tree-ish thing there. Two years. You know, now, it's, now it's actually looking like a large bush, not quite a tree. Three years out. It's taking greater form. Four years out, 10 years out. Finally, 10 years out, maybe you're sitting underneath a little bit of shade. Not completely, not totally, but it's looking good. But ultimately, you know who sees the fullness of the beauty? It's not going to be you. It's going to be your children and your grandchildren. When on their wedding day, when they're on their wedding day, they say, Grandpa, how in the world did you and Grandma have that type of love for each other today? How did you guys, how did you guys manage to, 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 to find a, this great, unbelievable love today? It's, it's so it's so hard to even wrap my mind around. And you just look right back at him. You say, because every single day, every single day I look to the cross. And I thought about how those men and those women spat upon Jesus and they, they cursed Jesus and they nailed Jesus to the cross. And he loved them anyways. He, he asked for, for their forgiveness anyways. And I, and I said, man, I'm going to love your grandma like that. Every day. On her best days and on her worst. And Grandma says, man, I saw the way that the church is called to submit to Christ because he has fully submitted to them. And as your grandpa worked to fully submit his life to me and fully love me, I worked to fully submit my life to him. And it didn't change overnight. If that's your hope, if that's your plan, you say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to deny myself today. And you think tomorrow it's going to get better. Tomorrow it's going to be like this perfect, beautiful oak tree, you're just going to be disappointed. It's going to take every day, every moment. It's going to take moments of failure. It's going to take moments when you just don't feel like it anymore. Keller writes about that in the book as well. He says it this way. 
It says, in any relationship, there will be frightening spells in which your feelings of love dry up. And when that happens, you must remember that the essence of marriage is that it's a covenant, a commitment, a promise of future love. So what do you do? You do the acts of love, despite your lack of feeling. You may not feel tender and sympathetic and eager to please, but your actions, you must be tender, understanding, forgiving, and helpful. And if you do that, as time goes on, you will not only get through the dry spells, but they'll become less frequent, deep, and you'll become more consistent in your feelings. This is what can happen if you decide to love. This is what can happen if you decide to love. If you choose to pick up your cross, if you choose to submit, even though it doesn't feel right in the moment, it doesn't feel like the thing that I want to do. I mean, feelings get you in trouble in your marriage. We say, no, 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 I'm going to invest in this moment because I have a future hope and a greater hope, a greater glory out there in the distance. And so we have to beware in the future moment of compromise. You have to beware in the future moment of cutting little branches off here and there and saying, ah, you know, I'm just, I just want to get into this hobby for a little bit. So I'm just going to trim a little bit off. It's okay. Just trim a little bit of it, trim a little bit of my investment off here in order to invest it here. You know, right now in this season, Josh, my career is really important. I got to invest my time and my energy into building this career. And so I just got to trim a little bit off of the tree here. It's going to be okay. It's just, it's just this season. You know, right now we got kids and the kids are crazy. And so we just got to trim a little bit off of our marriage in order to invest in these kids. They take up all of our time. Ten years out, there's just a little stump left. You wonder, how did we get here? telling you it's an everyday, all-day investment into a greater picture, something far more beautiful than the present moment. The present moment, there will be days when everything feels beautiful and everything feels right, and, you, and you're eager to love, and you're eager to submit, and you're eager to lay down your life for the sake of your spouse, but there's going to be plenty of days that doesn't feel that way. This is the picture that Paul is pointing out, especially to the guys, right? Christ did not love us because of who we were. He loved us to create who he knew we could become in the power of the gospel. We don't love our spouse in the present moment because of where our marriage is at, but because of what it could look like in the future. We do the acts of love anyways. We plant, we water, we fertilize, we cultivate. And each day, we do it again. And it, and it doesn't look different. If you go out the next day, the tree looks the same. But a year out, it looks a little bit better. Another year out, it looks a little bit bigger. And another year out, it looks a little bit bigger. And someday, out there in the distance, the future, you sit underneath the shade of it, rock solid, strong, beautiful oak. Because Christ has been your example. Christ has been the one that has pointed you to how to live rightly. And now your marriage points the world back out to Christ. They see Him, they see the fullness of the gospel and the way that you love your spouse. The way that you care for your spouse. In the darkest hours and the darkest days, your marriage points the rest of the world to the gospel. And so I want to challenge you this morning. What do you need to do today in order to begin that investment? What needs to change today, right? You, you sit down with your spouse today and have that conversation. 
What, is it we, what do we want this thing to look like in 10 years? What do we need to do today? If you're single, take your best friend out. Take them out for coffee, buy them a beer, and say, man, what do you want your marriage to look like in 10 years? That will blow their mind right there. You say, what do you need to do today in order to begin investing in that? And what can I do to help you in that? You want to blow your friend's mind? You want to blow your brother's mind, your sister's mind? Ask them those questions. Begin investing today. I, I encourage you, buy that book, The Meaning of Marriage. Begin reading it today with your spouse. If you're single, begin reading it with some friends who are single. Begin investing rightly today. Begin reading the Word together today. Begin cultivating strength today. Begin cultivating a future hope and a future idea today of what it could look like. And realize that there's going to be days when you don't feel like doing it anymore. There's going to be days when your spouse lets you down. And you must gently correct them. Bring them back on path, back on course. But it's okay. They know the course because you already talked about it. You already established it today. There's going to be days when you let them down. They have to gently bring you back on course. But it's okay because you know where you're going. You have the picture in your mind because you talked about it today. You begin that communication today. You begin walking down that path today. I encourage you, begin today to invest in the right things. Look to the cross. Look to the gospel. Say, I want to love my spouse as Christ has loved me. Let that be your example. Let that be your model. Let that be your guide for the way that you live out your days, whether you are married or single. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning I pray for those in this room who are married. I pray that you breathe life into their marriages. I, I know that we're in different places in this room. Some of us are, are married and we're happily married and there's excitement and joy and we're in a good season of our relationship. Let us walk wisely and investing now rather than thinking, oh, it's all good, we'll just put it off a little bit. For others of us, we're in a hard season. Things are dry. We've been investing in the wrong things, engaging in wrong behavior. Call us back. Pull our, pull our hearts back together with our spouse. Help us to have the hard conversation. Build in us a, a picture, a healthy view, a picture, a right picture of what the future could be like. What our kids might get to experience someday. Let us not compromise that in order to fulfill some selfish longing in the present moment. But let that big, vast, massive, beautiful picture in the future. Hold us firmly rooted in the gospel today. With our eyes fixed on Christ. Saying, teach me, show me how to love my spouse well. I pray these things in your name. Amen.